which of these ways would you choose to reveal your secret crush on someone? A, would you write that person a letter? B, would you tell the person in private in case he rejects you? Or C, would you tell that person that you're gay and you hope he is on national television? Hey guys, what's up? My name is Harmony and this is What the Actual F. So I've got two cases for you guys today and I hope you guys will enjoy this kind of episode where it's two for the price of one. So today, the first episode, the first episode, the first case I have for you in this episode is that of a Jenny Jones talk show that turned deadly. So in case you guys are not as old as me and don't know what Jenny Jones is, it's a talk show that was really big in the 90s along with like Jerry Springer, Maury, you know, things like that before talk shows became what they are now. It was a lot of just like, he said, she said, and like, surprise, your mom is cheating on your dad with your stepbrother, I don't know, things like that. And I'm not gonna lie, I was living for it. I watched it all the time. You couldn't stop me from it. I ate every second of it up. And uh, yeah, I'm a little bit ashamed of that. <laughs> but also not really. Okay, so Jenny Jones was a little bit different than Jerry Springer like as in a lot of I don't think there were as many like altercations and it was a little it was handled a little bit better there when there was problems that's why this is so shocking that this happened from a Jenny Jones show at least at least to me at least to me like I could expect this maybe from like a Jerry Springer type show because I've seen people just full-on attack like a spider monkey I didn't really see that in Jenny Jones so this brings me to the episode with Scott Amador. We meet Donna and Scott. Donna has been helping Scott pursue his secret crush on John. John's backstage. He can't hear us. Um, how, how, tell me about the first time you met him. Where, where was he? Uh, basically, well, he was under a car working on her brake line. Yeah. Scott Bernard Amador was born January 26, 1963. And sadly, he was murdered on March 9th, 1995. So, during a taping of the Jenny Jones show, um, he revealed that he was attracted to an acquaintance of his and his friend, Donna. This acquaintance was Jonathan Schmitz. Three days after this, Schmitz confronted Amador, and Amador ended up getting shot twice in the chest. Yeah, so sadly, he passed away. We wouldn't be here. I mean, we might still be here if he was just shot, but he did, he was murdered. And Jonathan was found guilty of second degree murder. Now, because of this death, Scott's family actually sued the Jenny Jones show for wrongful death, but the judgment was subsequently, subsequently overturned by the Michigan Court of Appeals. The episode, however, was never broadcast, although, as you heard, segments of it were played and you can still find them. Well, I only saw the lower half of so you can imagine. Okay, you think about it, you, you had fantasies about him? A couple, yeah. Yeah, you had, had, when he was under the car, you had a fantasy of him. Yeah, something to do with like brake oil, lion snapping. Let's talk about the appearance on the Jenny Jones show. On March 6th, 1995, Amador videotaped an episode of The Jenny Jones Show, in which he admitted to being a secret admirer of Jonathan Schmitz, who lived near him in Lake Orion, Michigan. 
Until the taping, Schmidt did not know who would be revealed as his secret admirer. So he's going there under the impression that there is a secret admirer of mine, but I don't know who it is. Schmitz even states that he participated in the show due to his curiosity, and he claimed later that the producers implied that his admirer was actually a woman, although the producers of the show claim that they did tell Schmitz that the admirer could be male or female. So what was actually said, I don't know, it's a he said, he said, she said thing right there. The fact is, he was curious and he was like, yeah, I definitely want to find out who this is. Now, during the segment, as you heard, Amador was encouraged by Jenny Jones to share his fantasies about Schmitz, after which Jonathan, or Schmitz, was brought onto the stage. So not with an intention of hurting uh, anybody. I think Scott went on the show thinking this was going to be a spectacular way that he could show somebody that he cares about them. Sort of like, uh, I don't know if, if uh, in your days of being single, uh, there's a girl you really like, you want to try him up with something really neat to impress her. What about tying him up in my hammock? Um, and? It smells like whipped cream and champagne, stuff like that. Now, John, he, he knows you're gay, right? Yeah. yeah. He, do you know that he is? No. Anything's possible. So once he was brought on stage, there was this awkward embrace, and then bam, it was found out who the secret admirer was. And in response to this, Schmitz laughed and then stated that he was, quote-unquote, completely heterosexual. He's got a cute little hard body. <laughs> um, you know, why do you just want to come put your curio cabinet, you know, dust him off once in a while? <laughs> you want to uh, physically pick him up? Oh, he's just a tiny little cute thing. He's gorgeous. Well, all right, let's see if he really is. Tickle, get the headphones off of John, and let's have John come out here and see who has the crush on him. Here's Hi, John. Did you think Donna had the crush on you? Did I? No, we're good friends. Well, guess what? It's Scott that has the crush on you. You lied to me. He's confronted with this horrible situation on national television. You can see when you watch him, his hands go to his face in humiliation and embarrassment. Um, and Jenny Jones exploits that and keeps twisting the knife and twisting the knife. Uh, before we talk, take a look at it. We'll show a little playback of what uh, Scott said about you, uh, John. Take a look at that oh, one right here. <laughs> it smells like whipped cream and champagne, stuff like that. Scott was pretty open, but he's been fantasizing about you since he saw you under that car for the first time. He had an under-the-car fantasy, and he had a hammock fantasy he's been telling us about. Did you have any idea that he liked you this much? Um, no, no, no. <laughs> Can you tell us what your status is? Are you involved with anybody? Or? Um, no, but I am uh, definitely a heterosexual, I guess you could say. So let's talk about the aftermath and the murder. According to footage of the murder trial, it was stated later by a friend of Amador's that Amador and Schmitz went out drinking together the night after the taping and an alleged sexual encounter occurred. According to the testimony at the murder trial, three days after the taping, Amador left a quote-unquote suggestive note on Schmitz's, at Schmitz's house. So then, after finding the note, Schmitz withdrew money from a bank and purchased a shotgun then went to Amador's mobile home where he questioned Amador about the note. 
Smitch then returned to his car, got the gun, and returned to Amador's trailer. He then shot Amador twice in the chest, killing him. After killing Amador, Smitch left the residence, telephoned 911, and then confessed to the brutal killing. He'd been engaged to a woman for, for three or four years, and they had broken up several months earlier. He thought probably it was she, and if not the ex-girlfriend, someone else he had met at work with whom he thought there was a spark between the two. Uh, and so he was fantasizing. He gets on the airplane, and for, before even he gets on the airplane, he goes out and he buys a, a, a suit of clothes, a sport jacket, a pair of slacks, and a new shirt, and a new tie, and I think even new shoes. And he gets himself all spruced up because he is now convincing himself that this is going to be the turnaround event in his life. This time, if it is his old girlfriend, he tells everybody at work, this time he's going to marry her. He lives upstairs for me. And uh, Scott was a guy, one night I pulled in, she was looking at her brakes, and I was looking at the brakes, too, and uh, Scott pulls in behind me and goes, uh, well, your car's pretty funny, because I drew this peace sign in the back of my car, and it's, you know, it says peace manna, and then Scott says, you look like a hippie in your car, and then you get out of your car, and, and then she, he told Donna that I was a good-looking guy, and Donna told me, and I said, well, you know, it's flattering, but... It's flattering, but you're not interested, there's no, no way, there's no way, right? No, I'm... At trial, defense attorneys argued that Schmitz, who had been diagnosed with manic depression and Graves' disease, was caused to commit homicide by mental illness and humiliation by the way of the quote-unquote gay panic defense. Now, this is a big thing in the 90s. It was, it was huge. Yeah, it was, it's, yeah. So, Smith was found guilty of second-degree murder in 1996 and sentenced to 25 to 50 years in prison, but his conviction was overturned on appeal, and upon retrial, he was found guilty of the same charge once again, and his sentence was reinstated. Smith was released from prison on August 22, 2017. The show that John appeared on March 6, 1995 was Ambush Television? No. You knew on March 5, 1995 that John's secret admirer was not going to be a woman, didn't you? Yes. Who it was. And they said, well, we can't even tell you. It could be a man or it could be a woman. He said, well, then forget it. I'm not interested. If it's a man, I'm not interested. And, what, and he said it often enough that finally one of them said, well, don't worry. Don't worry. We can't tell you who it is, but we talked to her, and everything's going to be fine. You'll be fine. You're going to have a good time. We have the production notes, and it shows very clearly that he's not at all interested. He wasn't interested in anything unusual. It wasn't just he didn't want to go on a show with a man having a secret. He didn't want anything unusual. In 1999, the Amador family ended up getting a lawyer and sued the Jenny Jones Show, Telepictures, and Warner Brothers. They said that it was due to ambush attacks and their neglect in actions that resulted in Amador's death. In May, the jury awarded the Amador's family $29 million. The jury found that the Jenny Jones show was both irresponsible and negligent, contending that the show intentionally created an unpredictable situation without due concern for the possible consequences of this. Time Warner's defense attorneys later claimed that the verdict would cause a quote, chilling effect on the industry. The judgment was later overturned by the Michigan Court of Appeals in a two-to-one decision. The Michigan Supreme Court declined to hear the case. I do want to share that it's been stated that apparently in the green room of the Jenny Jones show, Scott 
was, I'm sorry, not Scott. Jonathan was actually fed vodka. And this isn't apparently like really common for that, but he was given vodka. And that was brought up that they actually, they did lie to him a lot. And it is in the notes, as you guys heard, a lot of them went on trial and even said that they were told to mislead him. So when he does get on stage and he sees Donna and then the only other person on the stage is Scott, he knows at that point it is Scott that has the crush on him. Now he, I'm not justifying what he did in the slightest, but he did tell them and he asked them, is it a woman? Like he was actually really hoping it was his ex-fiance because he really, he did he wanted to be with her. Apparently he did something or maybe he messed up. I'm not sure, but he lost her and he was really hoping it was her. And to find out on TV, it was Scott and that he like went in detail about fantasies when he isn't that, like he isn't gay. It bothered him. I am not justifying him. He did not have to kill him. He obviously went out drinking with him. So I don't know if he premeditated it, especially getting the note I'm not saying it was okay at all. Now the note, I'm not sure exactly what it said. There's claims that he said that if you want it gone, I'm the one that has the tool to make that happen. As in, if you want the Jenny Jones episode to not be aired for no one to ever see it, because he did let um, Amador know. He said, hey, listen, like you could have just come to me. You know, you should have just said something. But he wanted that to not be publicly broadcasted that's all he asked for and apparently Amadora held it over his head in this note that's the claim I'm not saying that's what happened that is the claim so that made him angry and that's when he went he got a shotgun and he was like I'll make it happen and it was never aired obviously you can still see parts of it but it wasn't actually put out on national television talked with Scott Amador at the hotel on March March 6, 1995. Isn't it true that you told him if he was nervous to have a few drinks before he came on the show? Not at all. You never discussed that with him? No. As a matter of fact, when he came into the room, he had a beer in his hand. Did you talk with Donna Riley that morning? And that once she was in the green room. Did you talk with Donna Riley that morning at the hotel or around the hotel? Donna Riley or Scott Amador on the telephone from someplace to the hotel. I don't remember. And is it your testimony here on your oath that you had no conversation with them about drinking a few drinks in the morning if they were nervous? That is correct. Ron, the producer, had told us the evening before because he saw that we were nervous and he said, oh, just, you know, have a couple drinks and loosen up, you know, and you guys will be okay. And so that's what we did. We went to the bar. So Donna goes on to state that they had a tab at the hotel bar that was paid for by the Jenny Jones show because, you know, they were nervous. So they said, go drink. It's fine. We got you. And they did that. So I just would like to know what you guys think of this case. Um, I find it I find it very heartbreaking. I do feel that there is negligent actions on the Jenny Jones part. I feel like this is an ambush attack. Because I don't know about you, but if you're an introvert, if you're somebody that maybe you just had your heart recently broken, like just a, not even, I think it was just a few months before this, him and his fiance broke up. They were together for four years. So he was still 
kind of spinning from that. Again, I'm not justifying his actions. What I am justifying is he probably had heartbreak. So yeah, he could feel some excitement that this could be a new chapter in his life if somebody likes him. And also, what if it's the chance that it's his ex-fiance? What if she's like, I love you and I want to make this work. And he's like, okay, let's do this. And then to find out basically that one, it's Scott, which I don't think he had an issue with. I think what the thing was is that Jenny Jones, and this is what they brought up, actually pulled out a lot. Like they had Scott on air sharing fantasies and saying things that I feel today wouldn't even be acceptable on certain posts if you were to talk about somebody. The internet would go up in flames about it. It'd be like, you can't say that. And he was saying it. So he probably felt embarrassed. And then I guess with the note that was claimed to have been put at his house stating if you want it gone, I'm the only one that can make it happen. Again, I don't know what fully went on with that. That's just the what is claimed. I, It's horrible. It really is. It should not have happened like that. I don't think anyone was right in any way, shape or form. That's, it's a, to me, this is a case of a bunch of bad actions leading to a brutal and horrible action in the end. So if you disagree with me, that's fine. Please send me your opinion. I'd love to hear it. And please enlighten me. I beg you. But I'm going to go ahead and go to the next case for you guys. My name is Christine Collins. On March 10th, my nine-year-old son, Walter Collins, disappeared. This next case is about Christine Collins, who was born on December 14th, 1888, and died December 8th, 1964. Christine was an American woman who made national headlines during the late 1920s and 1930s after her nine-year-old son, Walter Collins, went missing in 1928. During the trial testimony of Gordon Northcott, the state of California concluded that Christine Collins' son, Walter Collins, had been murdered in the Wineville Chicken Coop murders led by a man named Gordon Stewart Northcott, who was executed at San Quentin in 1930. Her search for the whereabouts of her son was chronicled in the 2008 Clint Eastwood film, The Changeling, in which she was portrayed by Angelina Jolie. Jolie was nominated the Academy Award for Best Actress of her perchance as Collins. The five-month investigation led to a boy being brought to Los Angeles from DeKalb, Illinois. The LAPD told me and all of you that this boy was my son. Let's talk a little bit about Christine Collins' early life. Christine Collins was born in 1888 as Christine Ida Dunn. She was married to Walter J. Collins, an ex-convict using an alias, who was actually born Walter Joseph Anson. He actually hid his past from her. Then they had their son, Walter, in September of 1918. He was not my son. Now let's talk about the disappearance of Walter Collins. Collins' son disappeared on March 10, 1928, after she gave him money to go to the cinema. Walter's disappearance received nationwide attention, and the Los Angeles Police Department followed up on hundreds of leads without any success. The police then faced negative publicity and increasing public pressure to solve the case until five months after Walter's disappearance, a boy claiming to be Walter was found in Decop, Illinois. I really hope I said that correctly. Letters and photographs were exchanged before Christine Collins paid for the boy to be brought to Los Angeles. At the reunion, Collins herself said that the boy was not her son, Walter. Under pressure to resolve the case, the officer in charge, Captain J.J. Jones, convinced her to, quote-unquote, try the boy out. 
by just taking him home. You know, as you would if you were absolutely positive someone wasn't your child. Just bring him home. Just give it a feel. It's like driving a new car. You might get used to it. You might like it. You never know. Just try. So Christine returned three weeks later again saying that this wasn't her son. Although she had dental records and backing from friends to prove her case, Collins said Jones accused her of being a bad mother and bringing ridicule to the police department. Jones had Collins committed to a psychiatric ward at Los Angeles County Hospital until a, quote, code 12 intermittent, a term used to jail or commit someone who has deemed difficult or an inconvenience. Jones did question the boy, who admitted to being a 12-year-old Arthur Hutchins Jr., a runaway from Iowa. Hutchins was picked up by police in Illinois, and when asked if he was Walter Collins, he first said no, but then said yes he was. His motive for posing as Collins as to get to Hollywood so he could meet his favorite actor, Tom Mix. Collins was released 10 days after Hutchins admitted that he was not her son, Walter, and filed a lawsuit against the Los Angeles Police Department. Collins won the lawsuit against Jones and was awarded $10,800, which Jones never paid. So we know that this is Captain Douchebag. In 1929, Gordon Stewart Northcutt was found guilty of abducting, molesting, and killing three young boys in what became known as the Wineville Chicken Coop Murders. Northcutt's mother, Sarah Louise Northcutt, confessed in late 1928 to her participation in the murder of Walter Collins, among her son's victims. Following her confessions, she was sentenced to, without trial, life imprisonment for her role in Walter's death. The state chose not to prosecute Gordon Northcutt for Walter's murder and instead brought him to trial for the murders of three other young boys for which there were also forensic evidence. On February 13, 1929, he was found guilty for all three murders and sentenced to death. Even despite his convictions, Gordon Northcutt denied killing Walter, and Sarah Northcutt later attempted to rescind her confession and gave other scattered, inconsistent statements. Christine Collins, who actually chose to believe that her son was still alive in spite of the guilty plea entered by Sarah Northcott to a judge and collaborating testimony by Sanford Clark in the murder of Walter Collins, she corresponded with Gordon Northcott and received uh, permission to interview him shortly before his execution. Northcott pledged to explain the true account of her son's fate, but at the last minute he recanted and professed his innocence of any involvement. Collins continued to search for her son for the rest of her life. Collins attempted several times to collect the money they owed by Jones to her, including a 1941 court case in which she attempted to collect $15,562, judgment in Superior Court. She died on 1964 and was buried in Los Angeles. She never received a dime. She did never give up hope that her son was still alive and out there somewhere, and that breaks my heart. If you guys are interested in more about this case, you can actually go and check out the movie The Changeling, as I stated with Angelina Jolie. I've never actually seen it, but go check it out. Let me know if it's good, and I'll watch it. <laughs> okay, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the podcast. It was a twofer. Yeah. Um, I will talk to you guys on the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Love you guys.